Well, thank you uh, very much, Andrew. And uh, thanks to all of you for, again, taking time out of your schedule to spend a little bit of time here with us at Opportunity International Canada. Um, we have a special guest with us today. And before I introduce our guest, I just wanted to um, open with a couple of comments. Um, you know, we're all quite caught up in the COVID-19 reality that we're facing, not just here in Canada, but around the world. And uh, certainly, uh, what a difference a week makes since our last town hall uh, last week. And uh, in, during that town hall, we introduced the new uh, prospectus that we'd produced, which outlined a number of the program initiatives we were looking forward to undertaking in the coming year. And although I mentioned at that time that uh, despite the reality of, of COVID-19, most of those program initiatives were still quite valuable and, uh, and worth supporting. And that's still very true for, for much of it. But we've also become very cognizant of the fact that uh, events have overtaken uh, that initiative. And, um, you know, with, with our clients and with our partners around the world, the situation is different country by country. And I you know, want you to know that we're in regular contact with the CEOs of our implementing partners who we work with, as well as with the other uh, global opportunity partners. Um, we have you know, active projects in Colombia and the Dominican Republic, Honduras, Nicaragua, Haiti, India, and Ghana in particular uh, from Canada. And we're quite involved as well in the global uh, education finance initiatives. All of these projects and all of these partners and all of the clients represented by them are directly impacted by COVID. And you know, one of the interesting dynamics or sad dynamics is as uh, economic activity has shut down in, in a lot of places in order to stop the spread of the virus, uh, the clients who we serve, you know, they've stopped working and many of them are kind of day to day in, in their um, in their business model. And so when they can't work, they're not generating income and they're going to quickly go through their savings. And so that's the challenge they're facing. It also means they're not remitting loan payments to our implementing partners, uh, the microfinance partners that help them grow their business. So that directly impacts the uh, operations of our partners as well. So, uh, you know, facing this reality, um, we have decided to pivot and we are launching what we're calling a COVID response fund. Uh, the direct um, purpose of that fund is to enable us to stand with our partners during this time. Uh, we need to help them in any way we can. Uh, you know, they are not without resources. They are a very resourceful group. In fact, I've been very impressed by how creative and adaptive they have been. Uh, not all of them are are uh, none of them are panicking all of them are trying hard to work within the uh, the realities of their particular countries and with the authorities there and not all of them are completely shut down in fact the banking sector is considered uh, essential service in many countries and so they are trying to continue to operate uh, where they can and as we'll hear shortly you know digital financial services playing a big role there as well but uh, you know i don't want to um, create the impression that everything is rosy there's certainly a lot of challenges and so we really want to stand really strongly with each of our partners and help them as best we can. So we've created this fund. It's a general fund and we'll be using it to address on a needs basis uh, how we can come alongside and help each of our partners. We need them to basically stay uh, healthy through this crisis now so they can continue to help our clients, but more importantly, be there for our clients when we get through the other side of this. So certainly invite you to have a look at the page. I think Andrew has provided the link in our chat. And, uh, you know, we will be reaching out to our supporters to see how we can 
redirect some of the attention right now towards uh, helping our partners. We're still very committed to the, the longer term program goals, but at this point, it's really just important to intervene and stand with our partners through this crisis. And certainly at the end of the session, I'd be happy to take questions on that. So this time, um, I'd like to introduce our guest speaker. We originally were scheduled to have Rosa Wong with us, but uh, at the last minute, she became unavailable. And her very competent colleague, Nick Meekin, has agreed to step in and, uh, and provide the presentation. I know it's going to be very compelling. Nick is the Africa Director for Digital Financial Services for Opportunity International. In that role, he's responsible for overseeing the implementation and scale up of mobile and agent banking deployments and other digital inclusion engagements throughout Opportunity International's partners in Africa. Previous to this, Nick worked for Uwego Opportunity Bank in Rwanda, responsible for the successful design, implementation, and growth of that bank's two mobile banking services, MHOS, MVISA, and Tigo Sigira. Prior to joining UOB, he worked with Opportunity International in Kenya and was previously a management consultant in the UK. And without further ado, I'd like to welcome Nick to the um, presentation. And we'll hand the, the mic and video over to him. And then when he's done, we'll come back and uh, gladly entertain your questions. Mick, thanks so much for agreeing to, to share with us today. Appreciate it. Thanks very much, Dan. Uh, thank you very much for the uh, warm welcome and the introduction. Um, I'd like to just start by welcoming you all, thanking you very much for um, sparing the time to join us, um, particularly at this uh, time. Uh, I know it's um, a very worrying and uncertain time for us all, so thank you for joining us. Um, and just to thank you all, really, um, Firstly, for your support uh, in the past and your continued support. Very encouraging words from Dan. Um, much of the work that the partners do uh, couldn't be done without your, your support and your encouragement uh, and your love. Um, so thank you very much for that and much of our work as well. So I just want to voice our appreciation um, on, on their behalf before we start. Um, so thanks very much. Um, Andrew, if we could have the presentation. Perfect. Okay. So yeah, so um, as Dan says, um, uh, I'm Nick. I'm, I'm a member of the uh, Digital F Financial Services Program uh, for Opportunity International. Um, our uh, work is primarily focused in uh, Africa um, and in India. Um, so Rosa tends to look after India, I look after Africa. So much of this presentation is focused on our work um, in Africa. Um, if you can move to the next slide, please, Andrew. So um, just as, as a starting point, really, just to, to put our work into the, into the context of Opportunity International uh, as a whole, just to start with our, our vision and our mission. Um, and I'm sure this is very familiar to, to all of you, but as, as a sort of a recap and a starter. So our vision is a world in which all people have the opportunity to achieve a life free from poverty with dignity and purpose. And how do we do this? Well, by providing financial solutions and training we empower people living in poverty to transform their lives, their children's futures, and their communities. Now, obviously, that's a cool part of, of, of our microfinance partners, striving to provide financial solutions uh, and training uh, to those in need. Yeah, Andrew, thanks very much, yeah. Um, and, so, and so that is, a, 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 go on, Andrew. Um, if you can move to the next slide, Andrew. Yeah, thanks. So bearing in mind that, you know, the core of our work is the provision of fine if you sorry andrew if you go back to slide four 
sorry about this. Right, yes, thank you. Um, so the heart of Opportunities work is the provision of financial services um, and, and training to, to clients. And so we in the digital financial services team are focused on digital inclusion. And there's a, you know, a, a brief definition there, but it's really digital access to and use of financial services and other services by excluded underserved populations. So how can we enable our clients to access and to use these financial services and training through digital means? Um, as you know, we're all aware we're in the middle of quote a digital revolution we're in a digital age now it's having huge ramifications on almost every sector um and banking is is no exception um and in africa we're seeing some you know really key developments um our you know recently there's been a huge increase in the rate of formal financial inclusion in africa um it's almost doubled in the last um six years uh, much of that contributed to the growth of digital technology, in particular mobile money. Um, I think many of you will be familiar with, um, some, for example, M-Pesa uh, that has started growing up in Kenya, um, which is really bringing financial services much closer to people, making them more convenient and more accessible. Um, having said that, there is a, sort of a growing awareness that there can potentially be a digital divide, whereby those who are already marginalized are further marginalized and left behind. So to address this, we, we place specific emphasis on making sure these, these services are relevant and uh, affordable um, and accessible to those who are potentially excluded and underserved. So women, uh, rural populations, um, older and less literate people, persons with disabilities and refugee populations. Um, and so the women and the rural populations count for the majority of our clients. So much of our work is focused on ensuring that these digital technologies are relevant and affordable and uh, accessible by those populations. Uh, next slide, please, Andrew. So I thought I'd just start with, with a, a brief slide, sort of summing up why we're doing this. Basically, what, what, are the, what are the benefits for the clients and the opportunities and the benefits for, for our financial institutions, really? Um, I assume most of you use digital uh, banking in some way, maybe mobile banking through the app, maybe internet banking. So you'll be familiar already with how much that's changed your interaction with your bank, um, sometimes for better, sometimes for worse, um, but in pretty fundamental ways. Um, so for our customers, really, there are the three key advantages, really. First of all, the convenience. If they can transact on their phone, for example, they can transact almost anytime, anywhere. And certainly for those in rural areas, where um, proximity to banking services is a real problem. Uh, you know, transport, big distances, certainly in much of rural Africa, um, difficult transport, often expensive transport. So bringing services closer to people. Um, a lot of our clients are women and they have enormous um, uh, burdens, requirements on their time, have to balance their, their, their business, their work with their farming and with their families. And so this makes it a lot more convenient. They can bank when they like and it's much quicker. Um, we can reduce the cost uh, for the clients, uh, hopefully lower transaction costs, but reduce um, cost of traveling um, and also opportunity costs. So for example, they don't have to close their businesses to go and visit the, the bank, which may be 30 minutes and, and, an hour away. Uh, and then lastly, I've called it comfort, but really increased safety and transparency. So for example, uh, uh, re with reduced traveling means less um, cash handling. Uh, so less risk of theft uh, and, and robbery increased transparency. This can increase, increase the trust they have in the financial institution. If, for example, they do a transaction and they immediately receive uh, an SMS confirming that to them, that that, that is um, very reassuring uh, um, 
to, to see that transaction hit in, in, in real time as well. Um, privacy is, is a big issue, particularly for a lot of our, our female clients as well. Um, you know, there are a lot of demands and requirements on their funds. So if their family or their neighbors, for example, their relatives know that they have funds available, there are lots of demands on those. And so, but in order to transact, one of the advantages of transacting digitally is that improved increased privacy um, that that gives. And it's community-based as well. So for example, the, the, the picture on the right there is, is one of our agents, and I'll talk about that a, a bit more later. These are um, businesses that the banks contract to act on their behalf. They are local businesses. Uh, and so people in the community already know these businessmen. They already know and trust them. We make sure that they are trusted in the community. So we're making sure that the banking services are more accessible to people. Uh, many of our clients or our potential clients still feel that, quote, banking is not for them. They're intimidated by the banking hall because it's for the rich, uh, the wealthy, the well-off, the urban. Uh, and so these, they, these agents, they're often more relatable um, to our clients. For the financial institutions themselves, the, for the four key benefits, first is, is reduced operating costs. So, you know, how can we reduce the costs of our branches by moving a lot of the traffic out of our branches and also our field operations as well. Our relationship officers, for example, who are visiting groups, how can we make that more, that more efficient? Um, improve security and transparency. So again, as for customers, often our staff have to carry cash in the field so we can remove that by encouraging our clients to transact digitally. And through our digital tools, we can improve transparency as well. For example, notification in real time of successful transactions. Greater client outreach, the, these um, services that allow us to penetrate deeper into rural areas where, for example, the cost of um, building and maintaining a branch would be prohibitive. So setting up an agent is just a fraction of a cost of, of setting up a branch, but it can still provide many of the same services, for example, deposit, withdrawal, customer registration. And so that is a way of us reaching um, new customers uh, in new areas that would be prohibitively expensive to reach otherwise. And then lastly, transaction revenue. We can increase the range of services, and products that we, we, may, that we make available to our customers. For example, uh, selling airtime, uh, payment of electricity bills, water bills, um, uh, payment of school fees. And we can charge a, a small reasonable transaction fee on that. Um, and that is a much needed revenue for our banks. Next slide, please, Andrew. So at the very heart of our approach, and you may have seen this on the first slide, um, we provide support to our partners um, uh, in order for them to serve clients through a high-tech, high-touch model. So, so we are trying to digitize as much as we can, mainly um, repetitive, uh, uh, regular transactions, for example, um, that, uh, so that we can reduce the cost, uh, improve the efficiency, improve the transparency and security, while maintaining the, the, the high-touch, so that's the, the, the frequent um, uh, relation contact between staff and clients um, and we believe those two in in, in partnership can have a, a high impact as we deliver financial services and training more effectively to our clients at, at the heart as I say of the microfinance model is this relationship between a staff and, and clients and as we see increasing competition this is one of the things that really makes us stand out against the competition particularly against the bigger banks and the mobile network operators um, who are reaching scale at, at such speed. So it's, it's this very special relationship and, and, we, and it's a balancing act um, that, that we have to walk between, okay, how, when is 
applying technology relevant and helpful and how do we use that to uh, complement and sometimes supplement that relationship between customers and staff so rather in the group lending as well i can talk more about that um, if people are interested later how do we mesh this this digitization with our group lending model and we're very very careful um, to, to, to do that next slide please andrew so um why don't you just share in sort of more practical terms some of our key initiatives so, so we work directly with our microfinance partners um we work with, our, with four partners in africa and 13 partners in india and we're also working increasingly with our um ag finance program and our edu finance program as well um to have them uh, scale up um their their services um so there are four key areas that, that that we that we um four key initiatives um that, that we're focusing on so the first one is, is digital delivery channels so that's mobile and agent banking um that mobile banking is is as it sounds that is allowing customers to perform transactions on their accounts using their mobile phone so that might be balance inquiry, it might be uh, loan re re making loan repayments, it might be um, receiving loan disbursements, making savings, deposit and withdrawals, buying airtime, uh, paying bills, school fee bills, for example. Um, what we do is we use um, USSD. So we, don't, we, ha we haven't really gone on to apps and smartphones. Most of our clients still have basic phones. Um, in most of our areas, the 3G network is still not reliable enough and widespread enough. Um, and um, smartphones are prohibitively expensive still for our customers. And as you may know yourself, require frequent charging up. And when, when electricity is a challenge, um, that's a problem for our customers. So at the moment, we use USSD technology, which customers dial a number and they, they see a menu on their phone and they select from the menu. And that means that this will work on any phone on any network almost anywhere in the country because the network is pretty good so at the moment say we're focusing on still basic phones rather than smartphones um agent banking uh, you know there's a, a picture there on, on on the screen and i alluded to it previously this is uh, our bank contract small businesses local businesses um sole traders to act on their behalf so they sign a contract and then they can take they're set up with an account. They can take deposits and withdrawals from customers. Um, they can help uh, the bill payments. They can register customers for our banks. In return, they earn a commission. Um, and they often either transact through a phone or with a, a point of sale device, much as when you go to the, the, the grocery store, you swipe your card through, through a POS um, uh, device. One of the things that we are striving for in, um, in Africa for example, Opportunity Bank Uganda has just set up a new agent network and has an interoperable agent network. Um, so what that means is <clears throat> if you, if you um, yourselves have a Visa card or a MasterCard, you know that you can transact, your bank issues your Visa card, but you can transact at any bank that has the Visa sign. Um, and likewise, other banks' customers can come to your bank. So, that, so in, in Uganda, we have our agents. Our customers can go to any of the other banks' agents and their customers can come to us. For a, a smaller bank like us, it's not feasible to have thousands and thousands of agents throughout the country. And so this is a way of, of increasing accessibility for customers while, keep, while reducing our costs as well. Um, and it also allows other customers, the banks of other customers of other banks, sorry, to come to our agents, which increases their commissions. Um, so that's our delivery channels. The second part is, is user engagement. So there's two parts. There's one, there is ensuring that the services I've just described um, are, are accessible and user-friendly for our customers. We recently 
beginning to put a lot of focus on human-centered design. So this designing the delivery uh, of services around the needs and the desires and the capacities and the capabilities of clients. And when we design them, then we rapidly prototype them, test them with our customers, get quick feedback, tweak the products uh, as and when required, and then launch and, and monitor them carefully to make sure they're meeting a need. Um, so that it's hugely important to us because we've seen that if you just roll out something without consultation to clients, they don't use it. We've also been doing a lot of work with interactive voice response. So this is sending out voice messages to customers, uh, which we find works much more effectively than SMSs that we've tried before because of the relatively low literacy rate uh, among some of our, our clients. So we ran two projects, uh, one in Uganda and one in Ghana, focused on uh, improving savings behavior. Um, and we were able to track the engagement rate. So when customers answered the phone and then track their change of behavior, and we saw very, very positive engagement rates, very positive changes of behavior, uh, particularly among women. Um, our ag team as well have put, done a lot of work with creating um, training videos that are compressed and then can be um, disseminated through WhatsApp. And this is a very effective way at reducing the cost of training and increasing outreach. Um, and often they find a much better result than face-to-face -face training. It, it um, ensures more consistency in delivery um, and certainly more, more um, outreach. The third part is uh, digital products. Um, so, so trying to digitize our savings products uh, and our loan products to enable them to be accessed through the digital delivery channels that I've just mentioned. So mobile banking and, 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 and agent banking. Um, credit, there's particularly a lot of emphasis on trying to digitize credit. Um, so, you know, trying to make our, our credit products um, automated, uh, instant and remote so that clients can access them, say, instantly and, and remote. Uh, what clients often say that interest rates are a concern, but often what they really want is quick loans. Um, our clients operate in very unpredictable, uncertain environments. Their income is uncertain, their expenses are uncertain. So often they have um, short-term liquidity needs that need to be met. Uh, and so what we are, what we are doing with um, two of our partners is developing um, uh, instant loans. Um, so we, we develop credit scoring that we can give clients uh, a credit score and then we can lend against that so that they apply and we can disperse within a few hours um, in order to, to, um, to, to, to plug the gaps that, that, that they may face. The final point is processes this, and this is digitizing a lot of our in-field um, um, processes. I'm sure many of you have been to the field. You may have seen a, a lot of paperwork for when we register a customer, when we um, uh, do loan applications. Um, this can be very inefficient uh, and um, costly for us in terms of printing and distribution and potential fraud as well. Um, and so by using tablets, getting staff to use tablets, we can do real-time customer registration, loan application, if we then combine that with the credit scoring I've just talked about, you could have um, in the field uh, loan application and disbursement in real time. And, and, and if it's done by, cust by staff holding tablets, that's a good example of the high tech and high touch as well. And so that you've got the interest staff and the customers, but you're applying technology to make that uh, quicker and, and more efficient. I've just added some, some figures on the, on, on the bottom there, just to give you an uh, idea of our scale. This is in our, across our four partners in Africa, we have 50,000 um, active clients. So it's 50,000 clients using our, our, our services every month, transacting about 200,000 transactions a month. Um, and through our IVR, we reached uh, 45,000 clients. So that's 45,000 clients actually engaged with our, um, with our messages.
Okay, Andrew, next slide, please. So I just want to now uh, focus on a few specifics really on, on our program. So, so this is a, uh, one of our clients uh, in Ghana. This is a fairly typical client, Justina Asana Arhin, which is a, who is a client of Opportunity International Savings and Loans from Central Ghana. So we went out to meet her uh, last time I was in Ghana. Um, she's uh, a wife, a mother, and a business owner. You can see there um, her, her business, which is operated out of an old um, container. Um, so basic groceries, um, uh, and also she sells airtime um, for, for, for mobile phones. So she uses the, the um, Opportunity National have launched their uh, Opportunity Mobile um, service. She makes that, she uses that to make her loan repayments uh, and to save. So she can access her account through the mobile without having to travel um, to, the, to the branch. Um, and she said that she really appreciates uh, the time this can save her. her, her the branch um, is, is quite a long way away. Um, it, it's um, either a very long walk or, or, or a bus ride. Um, so it's much more convenient to her. And she's fairly evangelical, I suppose is a good word. So she's in a group of opportunity and she is helping um, uh, other customers, other clients to use it. And this is very much the model that we, we encourage the peer-to-peer -peer training. If you're in a group and you're able to use it, then please do assist those who, who may struggle um, to use it. Next slide, please, Andrew. I thought as well this evening, I would just take the opportunity just to share um, uh, some of our work um, with, with refugees. Um, so you, Uganda, um, has uh, a very high and increasingly so um, refugee population. Um, we, we are working quite closely. We've started to work in a refugee camp called Naka Valley, which is in southwest Uganda. Um, it was set up in 1957 uh, originally um, for uh, a lot of the refugees from Miranda and Burundi. Um, and so it is a almost permanent camp uh, and it's home to 120,000 refugees. And many of them have been there for many, many years. Um, it was a real surprise to me when I went, when I think of refugee camps, I still think of um, sort of tarpaulins and, and makeshift tents. Um, but this felt in many ways like a um, quite a, a large, a very large African village with sort of permanent, semi-permanent structures and people who'd been there for many years. Um, so 50% are from the Democratic Republic of Congo, um, continued unrest there in the Eastern, region is seeing a, a, an influx of, of, of refugees. Um, now, uh, the Ugandan government has been and is being very generous, actually, as far as their treatment. They are, they are pretty welcome hosts. Um, they, they do take as many refugees as they can, um, and then they try where they can to provide families with a, a plot of land in order to construct a, a, a house, however rudimentary, and a small plot to do basic farming as well. Um, so, so actually, it's it's um, yeah they're they're being very generous and helping where they can. But having said that, of course, there are still huge, huge challenges. I mean, it's a huge number of refugees to have in the area. So there are very poor medical and educational facilities. Um, the soils are poor. These are, are camps not in obviously uh, prime locations in in Uganda. So the yields are very poor, and there are few very few employment opportunities. And and their hope is that that. An opportunity. We are trying to work alongside uh, existing partners there um, to try and provide a range of financial services, savings, loans, and cash transfers um, to try and uh, help them to start and to grow their businesses um, and to manage their day-to-day um, uh, -day expenses and to try and build, build their savings. Um, digital services will be a key part of this. Um, 
So what we are doing is, first of all, we need to understand their financial lives. So uh, we've just completed a project um, called Financial Diaries, which was working with a number of households for them to record each and every financial transaction that we can build up a picture of, of, of the financial transactions in their lives, um, how they save when they need to borrow, uh, what they spend their money on, how much they spend it, how that varies from uh, week to week, month to month, what the seasonality is like, so that we can then see how our existing products might meet that and where we need to modify them and design new products and services to meet their needs. Um, we've already started setting up some agents in these refugee camps. The nearest branch is 50 kilometers away, which is too far to serve them. So we can set up agents relatively cost-effectively um, and they can then provide um, access to, to accounts for these for these clients um, we're also working through existing structures so groups groups are very important in these camps particularly uh, what they call village savings loans association vslas this is a, a savings group and so we are developing a mobile banking application that mimics this they tend to keep their money in a locked box with three locks each of the committee members has a key and so we are developing uh, uh, an application that requires um, uh, each of the committee members to enter their PIN number in order to perform a transaction on the group account, which can be stored safely uh, in, 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 the, in the bank. Um, so that's some of the initiatives that we're doing. Um, the picture there is of, of, of a woman um, called Charlotte who had just arrived from Burundi. Um, and, and let me read you. Um, so she arrived with, on November 1st uh, with her five children and her mother-in-law. And, and she's, she was heavily pregnant at the time that, that um, we, we visited in November. Let me just read you a line or two of what she said. She said, we came with nothing, just the clothes we are wearing. We left quickly. The militia wouldn't uh, get help. That is my hope for the future. I had two other children, Burundi, who died from sickness. If I have the opportunity to build a business, I will, so that I can look after my family. I would try anything. There is good market here. I would like to have a shop and then also farm. This is a very typical message. Um, there is huge potential in this refugee camp because of the growing numbers and there is trade with the external with the Ugandan community as well and the, and, and the Ugandan government's allowed that as well and encourages that so so and th so it's not dissimilar from in many ways from our typical clients so how can we provide them with the um, financial solutions and training in order to start and to grow and to maintain their business next slide um, so I just have uh, three more sides. So, as I say, um, we are focused on populations who may be left behind in this digital revolution, this digital age, this growing digital divide. And when we're seeing it in, in women, women in Africa and across the world, actually, women are less likely than the men to use mobile money uh, and other digital solutions. So, between 10 and 20% less likely. Um, the key barriers to that is, can be affordability um, of the phone or of the services themselves, um, literacy and, and digital skills. So lack of uh, literacy to engage and, and lack of competence of, of being able to engage with these digital tools. A perceived lack of relevance. Often women think, well, this isn't for me. This is for the men or this is for the young. This isn't for me, is it? Um, and then also safety and security concerns. So for example, you know, oh, um, what happens if I lose my phone? Will my money be safe? Um, is, 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 is a common, what happens if someone gets my phone? Um, and you know, there are increasing cases of fraud in these countries around mobile money. Um, you know, with new technology brings new risks. Um, so those are some of the, the concerns with the barriers. Um, so we are trying to address those barriers. Um, we, we try and address the low literacy levels where we can. Um, you know, USSD requires a certain level of literacy. We've been trying to say, okay, instead of um, 
uh, reading USSD? Can we provide interactive voice response? Can we avoid a voice voice banking so that clients you know hear what is uh, the, the menu read to them and then can interact either through pressing or through voice? Um, make sure that the products and services actually are designed from the start with women in mind. Uh, so taking into account the realities of their life and their constraints uh, and their desires. Um, we try and tailor um, the training materials um, as far as possible, making sure that the, the, the messages address their, their barriers um, to use, um, trying to communicate more effectively the benefits of the women and simple things like, for example, having pictures of women it can make a huge difference. Um, we also try and leverage existing social groups. As I said, we encourage peer-to-peer -peer training and women training women uh, can be very effective. Um, my colleague Dane Lumbry has put together as well a, um, uh, an, an, an online um, digital training course to try and build the capacity of our staff. Um, we try and recruit women as agents. Uh, we proved that there's been research done and, and women provide, um, prove very, very effective agents, are very careful, sometimes more trustworthy than men. So we, and, and women feel more comfortable visiting female agents. Um, and it's important for us to be able to track what is going on. So we make sure that all our reporting is by gender so we can see usage uh, by gender and identify where the gaps are. And as I said, try and build internal capacity there. So for example, um, Dana's uh, online training course. Uh, Andrew, next slide, please. So this is my um, penultimate slide. I just want to say a few words about um, it is affecting um, all our partners. All our partners have um, uh, are subject to restrictions to keep clients and staff safe. Um, and of course, that their safety is, is absolutely paramount. Um, but we are we are now really trying to see how the the use of digital services that we talked about can help mitigate those risks. Um, so, so mobile and agent banking, for example, allowing customers to transact remotely um, to ensure that they don't have to visit the branches, to ensure that they, they can reduce the transaction between client and client and client and staff as well, and to reduce the amount of cash handling as well. There's a, a potential risk with handling lots of cash. Um, so, you know, transacting digitally can really address a lot of these to enable our clients to keep transacting, to keep having access to their accounts, to manage their businesses while um, ensuring their safety as well. Uh, we've also used IVR, um, so sending out voice messages, um, informing them of the latest developments in our banks, the, the restrictions in place, certain recommendations around what they should and shouldn't be doing um, to do with the interaction with the bank and health practices as well. So for example, big emphasis on hand washing and um, social distances as well. And we're seeing how we can really enhance our services. So in line with much of the industry, we've eliminated fees on a lot of our transactions. We've increased the amount that they can transact and increased the, the wallet, the account balances as well. We're really trying to send out targeted messaging to assist clients to start transacting. Um, and we're providing special assistance to our agents as well to ensure that they can transact safety, safely. So for example, providing special transport for them to get to the branch if they need to and um, hand sanitizers and face masks as well. Um, as, as, as far as possible. So we're working very, very closely with our, with our partners so to, know, to, to help them to, to, to address this, um, you know, this threat. Um, Andrew, uh, next slide. So this is our final slide really. And just to, um, much of what I've talked about is specific to partners and our work, but just to take a step back really as a final slide to, to see what's going on in the industry as a whole. Um, 
and and to look ahead as 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 well. So obviously our our work, as I said, is being done in the context of this huge change, this shift to to digital um, throughout you know um, almost every every single work of life. Um, and um, we've contracted some consultants who did a study and an assessment on, on our work. And this was one of the slides that that, that, that they shared. As far as I understand, there are five key trends that are affecting our industry now in, and, and, and into the future, which really we have to take advantage of and and, um, and respond to effectively. So just, just briefly, the, the first one is, is an increase in, well, there's some smartphones I've talked about phones but increasingly we will have smartphones and increasingly in Africa you know the smartphone penetration is increasing and you don't need me to tell you how how powerful these are can be as tools in terms of the range of transactions the range of functionality the capability and the capacity increasing processing speed um, and really to put a lot of the power in the hands of the clients uh, to empower them as, as, as far as possible and the next point really is the um, availability uh, and uh, of new and diverse sources of data um, and again this is very well known as the old cliche perhaps that you know the world's most valuable resource is no longer oil it's data okay um, we've got you know lots and lots of data in our core banking systems in our mobile banking systems that we're not using as effectively as we can so we are trying to which use this data in, in line with the rest of the industry to try and understand clients, to try and understand their, their characteristics, their behavior, their social networks in order to better design products and services um, to meet their needs. Um, the, the third key force in the industry is increasing access to digital payments. So I, I've already mentioned mobile money. Mobile money is having a massive impact in Africa. Africa, particularly East Africa is really leading the way uh, in, 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 in mobile money. So this is digital payments, this is person to person transfers and increasing as well, um, person to business. So paying for goods and services. And, you know, and, and, and as this takes effect, so there's a growing digital ecosystem, which you know, we, other players can then take advantage of as well. And, and once you get that, you can then move away more from cash handling for digital payments. The fourth would be the, an, a rise in the fintechs, so financial technology companies. Um, mostly they're, they're leveraging data um, to deliver new new financial services, in particular credit. Again, Kenya is leading the way here. A number of um, providers providing um, uh, instant credit. Um, and, and, and many of those clients are also our clients as well. And then the final force would be the growing power of super platforms, the Facebook, the Alibaba, who have an immense amount of data on these customers, enormous number of customers, network of customers, you know, they can then start to look and they are already delivering financial services as part of their offering. Libra, I know is still, but as one example, you know, providing loans in order to help them uh, customers purchase goods and services. So really the, the key point, um, you know, from all this, and, and looking at the outcome is that this is happening whether we like it or not and we and we we are passionate about helping our microfinance institutions to continue to adapt to this new environment this new world so that they can survive and thrive in the world there is a concern that if they don't respond appropriately and actively then these other new entrants, for example, the um, financial, the, the fintechs and the banks coming down market and the mobile network operators will cream off a lot of our clients. And they might often be the, the urban clients, the better off clients. Um, and then we are, are left with the, with the very, very rural clients that are very expensive for us to serve. And typically in microfinance, you know, the, it is the operations, the urban areas sometimes cross-subsidize those in the rural areas. And if we lose those, our cost to serve will be prohibitively high. Um, so, so we have to we have to adapt. Um, 
Uh, and so really the, the, the four key areas to say, well, you know, looking ahead will be much of what I we'll talked about, much of what you see here. So continue um, to shift transactions um, through, through, through uh, mobile devices and through agents, increasing use of data um, to improve service delivery, in, improve our operations, um, improve digital engagement tools, IVR and videos, and the increasing importance of partnerships as well. Um, in this age, for example, with fintechs, with um, platform providers, with software providers, with, with um, technology startups, how do we form um, effective partnerships? How do we identify them? How do we form them? How do we manage effective partnerships in order to deliver um, these services effectively um, to our clients? And so those are you know, some of the key areas that we, we are looking at and will continue to look at in the future. Andrew, that's, uh, that's the final slide, or Dan, that's the final slide. So over to you. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you, Nick. That was really informative. Uh, Rosa gave a similar presentation to the uh, CEOs of the um, Opportunity Support members when we met together in February. And, um, you know, Opportunity Canada has really made a, a determined commitment uh, to support our global programs, um, you know, SBM and DFS being two of the sig significant global programs. And, uh, you know, it's a small but mighty team of very smart people doing hard work to, um, you know, really help our clients experience financial inclusion, especially women through these uh, technologies. And uh, certainly within the areas that we serve, um, you know, we are uh, looking to bring some of that uh, advice and skill to our partners in Latin America as, as they look to roll out similar kinds of services. I will just uh, ask all of you, if you have any questions, use the Q&A at the bottom and uh, type away and Andrew will kind of play air traffic controller and direct the questions where they should go. But, um, you know, thanks again for that very informative presentation. I know many of our staff were, uh, were also logged on because they were looking to get a bit of an education of exactly what DFS was all about. Um, so let's uh, let's throw the uh, Andrew. Let's throw it open to questions. Okay, so we have one question here. How many refugees camps is Opportunity currently working in, and how many agents are working in those camps? Okay, so so we are currently working in um, in in two refugee camps um, in in Uganda. Um, so uh, Naka Valley in the south, and then there's one in in, in the centre of the country. Um, and then we are looking to move into um, uh, two other camps up, up in the north. The north is a particularly challenging environment. Um, we don't have a branch um, up there in order to support the agents. Um, and so, yeah, we are really um, uh, viewing the Naka Valley as a, a, learning, a learning environment, a, a learning ground, so, so we can really hone our offer. Offerings. Um, I think at the moment we have um, 10, 10 agents active um, in, those, in, in, in those camps. It's relatively early days. And so again, we're very much taking this opportunity um, uh, to, to pilot and to prototype the services. So we have, we have 10 active agents that we're learning a lot of lessons about. Okay. Another question is, you mentioned the five forces there at the end, uh, and one question came up about where is opportunity and our partners along those five forces? Are we leading the way? Are we trailing behind to meet, catch up with maybe some new players in the game? Yeah, good um, question. So, so uh, I would say um, 
when we were um, assessed by, um, by, by, by BFA, we did pretty well um, across our, our mobile agent banking. Looking at, I think if we, we compare ourselves to um, uh, other microfinance institutions, um, we are uh, pretty far ahead on, on, on the mobile um, and, and agent banking. Um, we started ahead of people and we managed to maintain um, you know, a, a, a lot of our m momentum. So I'd say the mobile agent banking was doing pretty well. We ranked very highly on, on IVR. That was one of the areas which were leading the field. Um, very few microfinance institutions have actually done anything like that, um, and so particularly for us to be able to deliver that and to uh, and to provide the, eva the effective evaluation as well, that that was really a standout. Um, and I think uh, cutting across both those themes, we are taking the lead in uh, constraints faced by by women. Um, so so you know, as I say, a lot of our work about um, female empowerment, um, and, and that's really a, a, an area that, that we're strong at. Um, I would say we are playing catch up on using data. Um, this is one of the areas we've been a bit slow at, um, and we're putting a lot of effort in to um, uh, getting better data, using our data and credit scoring as well, leveraging that to generate credit scores as well. Um, yeah, that, that's where I, I would say we were. We were. Is that that answer the question? Yeah, fantastic. Uh, I have one question here. Is there an issue with internet services? Is that a barrier at all? I guess connectivity just generally for our clients. Yeah, I mean, so, so, so that's what I sort of um, uh, mentioned previously is that we're still for the majority of our clients, when we talk about mobile banking, agent bank, we still focus on um, uh, providing services through basic phones or, or, or feature phones um, because that just requires 2G network. The 2G network in most of our countries, Ghana and Uganda and Rwanda is pretty good. Um, the 3G network that we need for internet services is not nearly so good actually, particularly in rural areas. Um, it's very patchy, it's very unreliable and it can be expensive as well. Um, so, so yeah, that's still a prohibitive factor. It's, it is changing. So that's why I say, you know, what the, the trends of using smartphones, a few of our partners already, we're discussing with them designing apps that you would, that would then transact over smartphone. But for now, you know, the internet connectivity, it is improving, but it is still, yeah, not reliable enough for, for wide scale use for our clients. I'm just going to leave it open here for any second. If anyone um, has any questions, still answer them. We'll try to get them in. Going, going, God, Dan, I'll leave it to you to close off. Okay, well, listen, I just want to thank all of you again for taking time to, to join us today. And I, I hope this has been informative. And, you know, if you think of questions after the fact, feel free to email me and we'll get them to Nick and uh, he, can, he can interact back. Uh, Nick, I know it's uh, late in the evening there for you, and so uh, you know, thank you for interrupting your evening to uh, to meet with us and share with with our partners here in Canada. We really enjoy the partnership with your your team, and uh, we're looking forward to deepening your engagement with our Latin American partners as well as uh, we're trailing a little bit there uh, in terms of getting this stuff rolled out. What I do love about Opportunity generally is, you know, it isn't just a loan. Uh, we come alongside our partners and we invest in them, we train them. And in particular here, you're putting a lot of thought into how to make it actually work for the end client in a way that, that meets their needs uniquely. And so, um, you know, that is part of what makes uh, the opportunity model, I think, so successful. So um, I guess on that note, Nick, thanks. Uh, wish you all the best. Stay, uh, stay healthy in this crazy time we're in. And I look forward to meeting you in person sometime as well. And uh, all of you, thanks again and stay healthy out there.